You guys, welcome to episode 48 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives on the well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. It is me, Troy McEady. How are you? Um, you guys, I cannot believe this is episode 48. I'm dying. That's insane. I've not done any... I'm, we're approaching 50, and I've not done anything 50 times. Like, truthfully, in my life, I can think of about 12 things that I've done consecutively 50 times, and they're all either harmful to my life or to my body. Um, nothing... <laughs> or or against my will. Um, so this is great. Like, this is truly... I cannot believe that we're almost at episode 50. Like, that is really... That's insane. Um... And honestly, this, like, episode has potential to be a 50th episode. Like, it should be a milestone episode, but I just couldn't wait. I've been wanting to talk about this couple since the first week of this podcast. But I didn't feel like... I don't know. I've talked about this before. Like, there are certain couples where I don't feel like... I don't know. Like, I don't feel like I have, like, the balls to do it. Like, I'll be honest. A lot of you request, because in the Emotionally Broken Psychos Facebook group, by the way, mollyandthepsychos.com, a lot of you request um, Jay-Z and Beyonce, which, like, I totally get. And, like, that sounds like it could be super fun. But also, at the same time, like, I'm not... I'm a strong person. As you know, I'm 30 now. So, like, I can basically take on anything. But at the same time, like, I'm not strong enough to take on the Bayhive. Like, I'm not. Like, I'm not. I am not a strong enough person to take on people. Like, I try and do this podcast objectively, as objectively as I can. So even if I don't like a person or if I do like them, I try and give um, an objective opinion on them to the best of my ability. I mean, it's hard, you know. And when it comes to Beyonce, it's like, I fucking love Beyonce. Like, I live for her. I've lived for Beyonce since I was a tween. A pre-tween, probably. Um, yeah, actually, yeah. That's weird. Beyonce's been in our lives since we were, like, eight. But, like, at the same time, I would have to, like, occasionally speak negatively about Beyonce. And I just don't know if you guys can handle that. <laughs> like, I don't want to be Rachel Royd. <laughs> I don't want my children attacked. No, I just, like, it's, uh, you know, it's it's scary. Maybe I'll do it one day. Maybe that'll be the 50th episode. I'll just take the leap and... Uh, I don't know. We'll see. That even, like, literally even thinking about it scares me. But anyways, this week, we have something very special. I'm so... I'm so excited. I don't... And also, by the way, I guess I should, like, let you know that I've settled into being 30, and now I'm, like, extremely wise. I feel like a completely new person, um, things that matter to me a few weeks ago no longer matter because I'm 30. I'm a grown ass man and a 30 year old grown ass man can handle an episode about Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. You guys, can we talk now? You can understand why I was so afraid to cover this episode. Like the church of Scientology is a big fucking thing. I mean, there's so much to be said about Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman individually as a couple. It's just, it's overwhelming. And I have really intense thoughts on Tom Cruise. I love Nicole, obviously an iconic skinny legend. Um, I love her. She's an incredible actor. Some of my favorite movies of all time star Nicole Kidman. I think she's one of the greatest actors of our generation. Um, I think she deserves every accolade she's ever been given. Like, I just, I can't, I can't rant and rave about her enough. And if you know me, or if you've been a member of our Facebook group for more than, I don't know, a year, then you would know that I have some really confusing feelings about Tom Cruise. I 
here's the thing. Again, to speak to what I said earlier about being objective. And I don't think a lot of, I don't know, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I don't think a lot of people have the ability to be objective about celebrities sometimes. Like, even the people who love celebrity culture and love pop culture, it's like, there's this sort of idea that you have to like a person's decisions in life to appreciate their work. And I've never subscribed to that theory. Like, there are so many people that I talk about on this podcast who make terrible decisions, terrible life decisions. I couldn't even imagine sitting through a coffee date with them. You know what I mean? But it doesn't mean I don't love their work or love their art or love things they've done. And Tom Cruise is one of those people. Like, I unapologetically like Tom Cruise's movies. I don't get why it's such a big fucking deal. Like, I don't think Tom Cruise would be a great husband. Um, I don't love having my phone tapped. You know what I mean? I don't love being uh, systematically abused, as Kelly Benson would say, by a church. I don't love any of that stuff. And I don't love that for any woman. I don't think any woman deserves anything like that to be happening to her. I mean, getting involved in the Church of Scientology is a fool's game. But at the same time, I mean, Tom Cruise is one of the greatest actors in the history of film. And you can't deny fucking Risky Business and Jerry Maguire and all of the Mission Impossible films. And I mean, it just goes on and on. Like, Interview with a Vampire, The Firm. I mean, I could go on. I could go on. Top Gun. He's fucking Top Gun. Like, what do you want me to say? I don't know what to say to you. Like, I'm sorry if you... This is not going to be like a... Of course, we're going to talk about Tom Cruise and Scientology. Of course, I think Tom Cruise has a fucking Napoleon complex. Of course, I think he's delusional and deranged and psychotic. Of course, I think the church just turned his brain into banana mush. Duh. I'm not stupid, but I also fucking like Tom Cruise as an actor. Kill me. Like, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. I, 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 I'm not. I, but I'm, by the way, I'm 30 now, so I'm not going to apologize for it. 29-year-old me would have apologized. I'm not apologizing. I'm an unapologetic bitch now. (laughs) So, whatever. I'm excited to jump into this. I think it'll be fun. And there's just a lot of really interesting, juicy stuff happening. I mean, honestly, this could be a movie itself. Like, truly, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman could be, like, a film. And I know that I say this every week, but I'm, like, very much open to playing Nicole Kidman in this role. I feel like I get her. I get where she's coming from. I get her stance. I get her struggle. Um, I'm really good at an Australian accent, as you know. And um, <laughs> you think you start fucking case Jemai. And I'm just excited. So let's just jump right into it. Uh, so Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise met in 1989 on the set of their film Days of Thunder. Uh, they got married on October, I'm sorry, on Christmas Eve of 1990 in Colorado. And um, they're they uh filed for divorce in february of 2001 um their divorce was finalized in august and uh they adopted two children together isabella jane in 1992 and connor anthony in 95 um nicole kidman represents this sort of like tipping point in tom's life where like you know before like he was this sort of untouchable a-list all-encompassing beautiful movie star who like, ranked in money and, like, was a sure thing. Like, you put Tom Cruise on a screen and have him stand there for two and a half hours, it's gonna rank in hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, he was just a sure thing. Um, and then post Nicole, uh, his public image due to his, uh, 
obsession with the Church of Scientology really took a hit, you know, and he's never really um, recovered. I mean, people still go see Tom Cruise movies. So all of you that are about to criticize me for talking about how much I love Tom Cruise's films, um, I mean, you're, you're obviously you're still going because he's still a ridiculously bankable movie star. And I don't know, I think most people look at the situation that Nicole sort of escaped from, um, or that as this, they look at this as a situation that Nicole escaped from, especially when you look at Katie Holmes and what she went through to try and leave him. I mean, you know, Nicole was blindsided by their divorce, but obviously it worked out for the best because she, you know, she escaped this horrifying church that hated her, which we'll get into a lot more here coming up here fairly shortly here, fairly shortly. Uh, so it shouldn't come as any surprise that Nicole Kidman comes from really cool parents. Like she just strikes me as the kind of person that like had cool parents. I don't know. She's smart. She's funny. Like she, her dad was a biochemist and a psychiatrist and an author. And her mom was a member of the women's electoral, electoral lobby um, and she also was a, an editor, so she edited her dad's books. And um, her father died of a heart attack at 75, so not not too many years ago. And her mother was diagnosed with breast cancer in 1984, uh, which caused Nicole to take a short break from acting. Um, Nicole lived in the United States as a child. Her parents protested the Vietnam War in D.C., and um, she was actually born in Hawaii, uh, so, I mean, she is a U.S. citizen, and while her parents were in college, they moved back to Australia when she was four. Um, Nicole studied ballet and acting as a child. Uh, she went through uh, her teenage years at Phillips Street Theater in Sydney. Um, she actually acted with Naomi Watts, and that's how they became really good friends as teenagers. There's several things I need to disclose about Nicole. First of all, Nicole studied miming in college. Okay, can we talk for a second? I'm, I need to take a sip of coffee. And I'd like to just repeat my last statement if I could. Nicole studied miming in college. Nicole studied to be a mime. Um, that literally shakes me to my bones. Like, I'm rattling like a skeleton. And uh, she also said in interviews and stuff that, you know... Acting was not, like, something that she had initially wanted to do, but then it became this sort of mental retreat for her um, because she, you know, <laughs> this is also something that I'm really obsessed with. So not only did she take up miming, but at the same time, the reason that Nicole really took to acting in the first place and realized that she loved it is because she's fair-skinned and being out in the sun too long burns her. And acting was something that she could do indoors and not be burned by by the sun so her flesh was protected as long as she was on stage which i love i mean anything you can do to protect your skin and obviously it's worked look at her 20 years later 30 40 years later she's like she looks like literal milk poured in a bowl like her skin is just milk um that was creepy anyway her big break came in 1983 when she starred in the australian film uh bush christmas which is like a really big like uk uh, it's like the UK's version of, like, a Christmas story. Like, it's iconic. And she 
had been cast as a supporting character in the TV show Five Mile Creek. And then from there, her acting career sort of took off. She worked uh, pretty consecutively for the remainder of her life. I mean, Nicole's really never had, like, a slump in her career, really. Like, she's done movies that didn't really perform well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but for the most part, Nicole is somebody who, for a majority of her life, has just worked and worked and worked. And there's always there's always room for Nicole Kidman in a film. Like, there's always a time and a place for Nicole Kidman to make an appearance in any movie. Um, she, she, she starred in Emerald city, which earned her a best supporting actress award at the Australian film Institute. She also starred in the movie dead calm, which is like one of my favorite early Nicole movies. It's very on brand for me. It's an eighties thriller about a woman stuck on a boat with a hot and psychotic Billy Zane, which you guys know, I mean, it's, this is week 47. So now you know me better than like anybody and you know that that's very on brand for me. A movie that ends with like a woman fighting a man with a flare gun. Like, yes, please. Uh, she also starred in BMX Bandits, which, um, let's see, that movie didn't perform super well. But like, you know, she was working consecutively. Uh, Watch the Shadows Dance, um, The Wanderer, a film that apparently uh, got her a good amount of attention because she played a very adult, mature character. And she had all these really intense sex scenes and um the australian press made a really huge deal about that and one of the weird things that i've discovered in researching nicole kidman's life is that you know in australia nicole was a child star and it was something that she had to overcome like a drew barrymore and it's funny because we don't know her that way at all like when we think of nicole kidman i mean me personally i feel like i i could probably speak for other people in this but when i think about nicole kidman i think of this like you know, she's a, an, an acting queen. Like, she's one of the queens of Hollywood. She's not, like, some kid that, you know, I know from being in teen movies and then becoming an adult star. Like, she's... We knew her as an adult when she became big, so it's kind of interesting. And, uh, but yeah, that was something that she had to overcome. I mean, she was criticized a lot as a teenager because she didn't do really great films, but she was making a name for herself. And then when she did that movie where she was like naked a lot, it was like, you know, it was a whole thing. Um, her most important role up to that point was 1990s Days of Thunder, which also starred her future husband, Tom Cruise. And that was her American film debut. Um, Days of Thunder. <laughs> Nathan Thunder uh, <laughs> debuted. Um, uh, let's see. Days of Thunder was one of the highest ranking films in uh, in the box office that year. It made sixty million, or it cost sixty million dollars to make. It earned one hundred and fifty seven million dollars in the box office. Um, and you know, Nicole was a young thing; like she was a young girl. So there's not like all this crazy history that happened before she met Tom. Um, which is something we'll talk about later, but Nicole was very, very young when she got married and had children, like younger than like Taylor Swift is now. Like she was a literal baby girl. This leads me to a man that you may or may not know, Mr. Tom Cruise, which like, what is, I mean, what is there to say about Tom Cruise besides literally everything? Like, I don't even really know where to start. First of all, Tom grew up in a very different environment than Nicole. Like, his family life was, um, it was rough. He was extremely poor, like, at poverty level poor. Celine Dion poor. 
and um, his dad was extremely, extremely abusive. Uh, he grew up in a fairly religious home. His parents were Catholic, and for a short period of time, um, Tom actually wanted to be a priest. He actually like fully studied to become a priest, and his dad pretty much ruled their house. Uh, he described his dad as a merchant of chaos, and um, Tom was brutally beaten by his father for years. In Prade Magazine in 2006, he said, uh, he was a bully and a coward. He was the kind of person where if something goes wrong, they kick you. It was a great lesson for me in life, um, how he'd lull you in, make you feel safe and comfortable, and then bang. For me, it was like, there's something wrong with this guy. Don't trust him. Be careful around him. And there was always a lot of anxiety. And um, so Tom and his family moved a lot, uh, specifically because of his dad's job. He was an electrical engineer. But he would also take a lot of odd jobs and just sort of do whatever he could to make money. And so Tom spent a good amount of his life, um, his childhood, in Ottawa, Canada, which is where he discovered his love of acting. Um, this was like a huge escape for him to like not be home, dealing with his horrifying family life. And uh, he did his first play in sixth grade. Um, and then he moved from, I mean, they started moving from city to city. Um, until his uh, mother finally left his abusive dad. Obviously, his dad was abusing his mom, too. So, in spring of that year, during the sixth grade year, uh, his dad actually died of cancer. And then his mom moved them back to the States, where he attended uh, Franzitian Seminary School in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, he attended the school in hopes of getting some sort of scholarship to become a priest, which, like, that's a really weird thing. I can't even imagine like, a world where Tom Cruise is a priest. Like, I don't like that that is even a possibility, um, because I need my Tom. <laughs> and uh, when Tom moved, he was bullied a lot in school. He was beaten up a lot. You know, he didn't have money. He was extremely dyslexic, so he would have to be pulled away to, like, you know, take classes and stuff and Essentially, he had to, like, really, like, learn how to read as a teenager. So kids would bully him. Um, and also in that same magazine, the parade interview, he said, I had no real close friends. I was always the new kid with the wrong shoes, the wrong accent. I didn't have a friend to share anything with or confide in. The school took me to a psychiatrist and got me tested for dyslexia. They said, oh, yeah, he's definitely dyslexic and, dyslexic, and I became labeled as that. It instantly put me into into confusion. It was an absolute affront to my dignity. He said, I remember thinking, I've got to figure this out. Like, what's normal? Am I normal? Why can't I be normal? Who's to say what normal is? I didn't understand what normal was at the time, and it still doesn't make sense to me. And, like, the thing is, is that Tom was one of those actors who, like, straight out of the gate was really successful. Like, he... He never, again, much like Nicole, like he, you know, Nicole had this long period at the very beginning, beginning of her career where she did terrible movies, and she'll even admit to that now, that she was like, you know, she wasn't that great of an actress yet, um, you know, she didn't really, like, she didn't understand her body, like, she didn't understand the way she would look on film, like, she was just not, like, she wasn't Nicole Kidman yet, but Tom, like, right out of the gate, was Tom Cruise. It's like he was meant to be an actor. Um, he never had one of those long periods of doing, like, you know, terrible films or playing nameless side characters or people in the background at a coffee shop or, 
you know, saying the word banana over and over. Um, but he didn't have that. And his film debut, uh, his only bit part of his entire career was in 1981 and the film Endless Love. And then that was followed by um, a much bigger role in the film Taps. And in 1983, Tom starred in the Francis Ford Coppola-directed The Outsiders, you may have heard of it, alongside a group of some unknown, some future icons, some young up-and-coming Hollywood actors. Um, It was Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, Matt Dillon, uh, Ralph Macchio, Diane Lane, Emilio Estevez, and Leif Garrett. Which, like, can we talk about Leif Garrett for a second? You may not even know who he is. Like, he's a 70s heartthrob. And, like, Leif Garrett, to me, is, like, one of those really, like, interesting people because... He's somebody who, like, in the 70s, you could be a Leaf Garrett and become this big, huge star and become, like, this, like, this, like, sex symbol heartthrob for, like, teenage girls. But it was, like, before, like, the abuse of being a child star was, like, out in the open. And now it's, like, when you look at child stars and you think, like, oh, like, this person's definitely going through this, this, and this. Like, you can kind of, like, clock what's happening in their lives because we know everything happening behind the scenes, really, without having to see it happen. Like, back then it was so different. And, like, Leif Garrett is now just known as, like, a drug addict. Like, that's that's his identity. He's one of those people, like a Corey Haim, before Corey passed away and before all this, uh, this, um... Hollywood exposure stuff was happening. Like, Corey Haim for a long time was just known as a drunk. And it's like, nobody had ever taken the time to get to know why that happened or where it stemmed from or whatever, that he was being drugged and raped and abused his entire life. Um, I don't know why I felt the need to go off on a tangent about Leif Garrett, but I did. Leif, I know you're listening. We're rooting for you. Uh, And the ironic thing about Tom's performance in that movie is that he's not even like... He's not the one that you would pick out to be, like, the next big star. Like, if anything, when you go back and read articles about The Outsiders, it's always Matt Dillon that people are like, you know, he's the next James Dean, he's the next Marlon Brando, um, you know, he's beautiful, and he can act, and blah, blah, blah. And Tom was just, like, this snaggletoothed little shithead. Um, he wasn't on anybody's radar, but then ended up becoming, like, the biggest movie star in the entire world. And that same year, Tom appeared in Risky Business and All the Right Moves, which, like, I mean, those both can be described as, like, generational films, for sure. Generation-defining films. Um, And, like, to be honest, the beginning of Tom's career sounded like something written out of, like, a fictional, like, young adult series. Like, it's, like, unbelievable to me when I was reading this that, like, the chain of events to take place in his life, it's like every year just propelled him to become more and more successful and more famous um for like 30 straight years it felt like there was nothing that could really stop tom cruise which is crazy um and then a few years after becoming um this like big star you know first of all his first role he's a side character his second role not that great his third movie when he's still a kid he stars in a fucking francis ford coppola film And then after that, it's back-to-back huge movies that, like, define a decade. I mean, it's crazy. And, like, you could argue that the first ten minutes of Risky Business is actually, like, the thing that made Tom a star. The scene where he slides into his living room in his underwear and his socks. And, you know, that on top of the fact that he was, 
like devastatingly handsome. I mean, like you can say what you want about Tom Cruise, but the boy's got a jawline for days. You feel me? And he can act his ass off. He was like the ideal young male ingenue of the eighties. Like Tom Cruise was that guy. Um, and there was also this like very specific formula to Tom Cruise's movies at that time that seemed to work no matter what the concept was where, you know, he was this like downtrodden guy or like a guy who was like down on his luck and incredibly handsome and charming. I mean, that Tom Cruise smile, can we talk? He like realizes that he has like this hidden potential or this thing that he wants to do, realizes his goal does everything he can to achieve it, faces obstacles, like a villain is determined, and then in the end, he wins. Because Tom Cruise, back then, in all of his movies, he always wins. You know, like, and it's it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy that that worked for so long. It's crazy that he was able to sort of bank on that for so long. Um, Tom went on to star in Top Gun, The Color of Money, uh, cocktail, Rain Man. I mean, it was just like back to back to back, giant, huge films. I'd like to talk about their relationship now because there's this. Usually, we it takes a little bit longer to get there, but this time, there's just way too much to say. There's way too much to get to. So, as I mentioned before, Tom and Nicole met on the set of their film Days of Thunder, and at the time. Tom was, like, this recent global superstar. Nicole was a totally unknown actress from Australia who had done Dead Calm with Billy Zane. Like, truly, that was her identity. Nicole told People Magazine that she remembered being super nervous about going to this audition, um, and that she, you know, she was, this was gonna be the movie that was gonna launch her into, like, the American zeitgeist. And she was known in Australia already, so... She was afraid of what, like, the perception would be for her as an actress here. And she said she remembered seeing Tom Cruise pull up in a Porsche. And when he got out of the car, her jaw dropped. She auditioned for the role in front of him. And Tom stood up and gave her a standing ovation. It was actually Tom who um, who requested her to be uh, selected to even audition. Nobody else wanted her they all saw her as this sort of like, um, you know, just like an Australian kid star. Like nobody wanted her and Tom requested her at the time. Tom was married to, uh, Mimi Rogers and in vanity fair in 2002, she said, he basically swept me off my feet. I fell madly passionately in love. And as it happens, you fall in love. Um, your whole plan in terms of what you wanted for your life changes. I was like, forget it, this is it. I was totally consumed by him, willingly, and I was desperate to have a baby with him. I didn't care if we were married, that's what I wanted to be done. So they start dating while filming the movie, and Tom made a promise to Nicole that he would uh, propose to her as soon as his divorce was finalized to Mimi. Um, and at the time, Nicole was dating this like Australian TV star named Marcus Graham, who, in his mind, like, she's out there working her ass off, and, like, he can't wait for her to come home, because the sooner, the sooner she comes home, like, the sooner, you know, they'll be together, and blah, 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 like, he's thinking that there's, like, nothing to worry about, 
um, at the same time, she's literally like falling in love on set with this guy and like literally planning her child with him while she's a boyfriend, <laughs> which I love. Um, so Days of Thunder performed poorly at the box office and ushered in this era of like fiscal restraint in black, in Hollywood at that time as, as far as like how much money a studio would give. You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast. You'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast. Um, you'll get me and Molly's uh, Brittany and Kevin Chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.